So I want to talk to you today about the weeping of the vines. You see lovely vineyards behind me, and there's a wonderful thing that happens right about this time of year. At the beginning of winter, uh, every vine gets pruned, and I expect if vines could talk, they would not like that at all. But then, right about this time, when the ground begins to warm up and it hits about 10 degrees centigrade, um, in the ground liquid begins to flow and it goes up into the roots and into the vines and sap runs and there will be in wonderful language what's called the first teardrop of the vine in the very place that it was cut when it got pruned the sap is running now and life is coming and there's going to be a branch and blossom and then fruit there but it begins with the process of pruning and then the weeping of the vines. Jesus says in John, the 15th chapter, that he's the vine and we're like the branches and the father is like the gardener and he prunes every branch that bears fruit. And probably if a branch was sentient, it would prefer not to be pruned. But the great gardener prunes it not so that it will be in pain, but so that it will bear even more fruit and fruit is life. And that brings us now to renovation of the heart. And I'm on page 154 when Dallas is talking about our will and what it would be like for our wills to work right. And we think about what is it in our lives that needs pruning? And Dallas writes about the power of untamed desire. Now the primary source of our entanglement, the mendacity, duplicity, conflicted complexity of our lives. The, the primary source of our entanglement is desires. Really, not just our desires themselves, but our enslavement to them and confusion about them. Desire is good, but enslavement and confusion are not. Temptation to sin always originates in desire. You might just think about that. We have set our hearts on too many things some of which are wrong or evil, and all of which are conflict with some others. Here, we need to add that habitual following of a desire leads to strengthening the power of that desire over us. You can scratch the itch if you want to. It's just going to itch all the more. In the realm of the will, there is something like the power of inertia in the physical realm. It is easier to do what you have done than what you have not, and especially than what goes contrary to what you have done. You tend to keep on doing what you have done, and the more so, the more you have done it. That is spiritual inertia. I've never heard about spiritual inertia before, but it is profoundly true. As I more habitually hoard my money, it gets easier to do that. The more that I give it on the positive side, the more that that can happen. The more I withdraw, I can use withdraw as my weapon of choice when I'm angry and eventually it overwhelms me. And I've experienced this in my life. It's very destructive in relationship, especially in my marriage. 
uh, eventually it is so overpowering, I feel absolutely no ability to refrain from it. Or the more that I look at porn, the more natural and easy it is to do that. Or on the other hand, positive behaviors. Nancy and I were talking to somebody very recently, and this person said that they had just broken up with their boyfriend. And immediately, reflexively, Nancy said, oh, how are you doing? And even though I spent all that time studying clinical psychology, that question did not occur to me. It did to Nancy because paying attention to people and wondering about people's hearts and well-being is something that just comes out of her when she's with other people and she kind of can't not do it. That is spiritual inertia and that exists to our great detriment or to our great benefit. Dallas says, we may come to identify our will with our desire. And a powerful desire may throw us into something like a hypnotic state in order to achieve its satisfaction, often in horrible deeds. In addition, when the will is enslaved to a desire, it will in turn enslave the mind. To justify itself in satisfying the desire, the will enlists the intellect, and this is just how we are. The will enlists the intellect to provide rationalizations frequently so bizarre that they amount to selective insanity. Now, there's another phrase. Spiritual inertia, now selective insanity. Then, of course, the individual in question does and says things that make no sense to anyone. They are hypnotized by their evil desires. I kid you not, I heard from one person who had been not drinking alcohol for a while, they were an addict, And their conclusion was, now that I've learned not to drink alcohol, I'll be able to handle cocaine. Our minds think that way. I think of a parent that I knew many, many years ago in the Midwest who was so disappointed, frustrated, angry at their child and their child's religious decisions and sexual identity, sexual choices that went on in this parent's mind was an unbelievably unhealthy cauldron of indulged resentment and thoughts that never quite verbalize themselves, like, well, as long as I just continually withhold my acceptance from this child and stew in my resentment over what they're doing and come up with ironclad arguments for my own views, particularly my religious views, then they cannot win. Then, then, and our mind often doesn't even fill in the then around that. We never stop to think, I'm losing a connection with my child. I'm losing the relationship. I could instead simply seek to listen with a humble spirit. That is selective insanity. I think I'd like to have great friendships, or I think I'd like to grow intellectually, but I choose to spend my time just watching TV night after night after night after night, and I live as though I don't realize that there are consequences that I will live with whatever choices I make around how I spend my time. Dallas goes on. Our primary aim in stepping free from the entanglements must be to overcome duplicity. To overcome it, we must be conscious of it, confront it, take appropriate steps to forsake it. And the primary plan here is to intend to do what God has said that God wills. So have you done this? Have you ever said, I intend to obey everything Jesus taught? Now, that'll be an interesting conversation starter at church. If you haven't done that, then you might say, I do not intend to obey everything Jesus taught. And that'll lead to an interesting conversation. But which is it? 
It's remarkable how easy it is for us to avoid firmly deciding. Who doesn't know, for example, that it is God's will that we should be without guile and malice? Those are what he calls foundational sins. But we just drift along. Now, once we make a firm intention not to do those things, we'll discover that we can't not do those things and we need help. And help is available. Dallas goes on, page 155. A major service of spiritual disciplines, like solitude, being alone with God for long periods of time, fasting, learning freedom from God, food and how God directly nourishes us, worship, adoration of God, service, doing good for others with no thought of ourselves. A major service of spiritual disciplines, now this is very important, it's often not thought about, is to cause the duplicity and malice that is buried in our will and character to surface and be dealt with. In other words, when you do spiritual discipline, it's not like you're going to feel all pious and wonderful. It's just the opposite. This will enable us to come to grips with what's going on deep inside us. These disciplines make room for the Word and Spirit to work in us, and they permit destructive feelings, feelings usually veiled by standard practices and circumstances and rationalizations, to to be perceived and dealt with for what they are, our will, not God's will. These feelings are normally clothed in layer upon layer of habitual self-deception. Typically, they have enslaved the will, and it in turn will have coerced the mind to conceal or rationalize what is really going on. Your mind will talk to you, Della says, when you begin to deny fulfillment to your desires, and you will find how subtle and shameless it is. And then Dallas writes, I know this from experience. That's the phrase that I love reading in this book. Your mind is subtle and shameless to an extent you cannot imagine. And Dallas says, I know this from experience. That gives me a little hope, if even he knew this from experience. Sadly, he doesn't provide us with any examples. But his mind too, his mind too was subtle and shameless. And what happens when we engage in spiritual practices is not that we're earning brownie points with God or showing how spiritual we are. Quite the opposite. We are making space for the truth that is within us to come up. So, for example, this morning, I make space to pray. And while I'm doing that, my mind begins to have this thought of people who I really deeply resent and dislike And I imagine, I fantasize how I might write about them in a public way to discredit them. And how I could even write something about myself that isn't true, that would gain me more credibility with the larger public and make them look even worse. So I am now having deceitful, narcissistic revenge fantasies while I am praying. And I used to think that kind of thing meant my prayer was a failure. No, 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 Dallas says. It's doing what spiritual disciplines need to do. And that is bring to the surface how subtle and shameless my silly little mind is so I can offer it to God. And then comes the weeping of the vines. Oh God, prune me. Where do you need to be pruned? Where do your desires, uh, your enslavements, your crazy busyness, where does it need to be pruned? Let God prune so that when the spring comes, there will be the weeping of the vine and more fruit. 
And next time, next time, we will talk about the renovation of the body. So if you want, I'll see you then. Guard your hearts.